This is the Hoboken Grace Podcast. Whether you're in the car or enjoying a walk, we hope you're having a great day. Just like every weekly conversation, we hope today's message deepens your relationship with God and builds into your life in a helpful way. For access to our full podcast library, visit HobokenGrace.com or our app. If today's your first time with us, my name is Chris, I'm the lead pastor here at Hoboken Grace. We are really excited to have you as we move into the new year. And we are launching this new conversation today. And I think this conversation is critical, specifically with where we are right now as a culture and with what we've been moving through. Because for the last couple of years, we've been moving through constant transition constant transition. And so much of what we knew about life or thought we understood about life, it's, it's kind of come undone. It's not what it was before. And the way that I've been saying it, I think it's, I think it's accurate, is that for many of us, more than I've ever seen before in my time as a pastor, for many of us, we've experienced our Ecclesiastes moment. What I mean by that is this. We've moved through a moment where all of a sudden we realize that what we thought mattered before does not matter as much as we thought. And moving through this transition, we look back on what we valued before this started and the way that life worked before this started. And all of that, and not all of it, but a lot of it in many ways has shifted uh, and so for some of you, maybe you've changed jobs or maybe you didn't change jobs. You just don't care about your job as much or even show up to your job as much anymore. It's shifted. It's different. And, and all of a sudden, our priorities have, well, they've been challenged in a very significant way. And there's this book in the, the Old Testament of the Jewish Scriptures called Ecclesiastes where the writer walks through all these different aspects of life and all these different things in life, these different things that we may put priority on. And he walks through all of them. And if you're with us in the fall, we talked about this for just one week. But he walks through all these different things and says, man, these things are meaningless. They're all meaningless. And these, all these different aspects of life, man, I saw this as the number one priority. It was meaningless. I saw this as the number one priority. It was meaningless. And I think for many of us, that's where we are. We're like, wait, the things that I thought mattered previously don't matter the way I thought. And it's not that they don't matter at all. It's just that they don't matter the way I thought. And we're having to rebuild. Now, we don't necessarily know how to do that. So many of us are just sliding back into what was before because it's what we know. Oh, I know how to do that. I don't know how I would even rebuild. I don't really want the priorities that I had before. I don't want to value things that way anymore, but I don't really know what it would look like if it was different. And, and so we're just kind of sliding back into it. And I think that's why this conversation is so critical at this moment in our lives and inside of our culture. Because we don't want to miss, maybe a better way to say it, we don't want to waste our Ecclesiastes moment. Because I think that God has something really powerful that he wants to do through this in our lives. And this is one of those moments that can be one of the most significant moments in your life in terms of shifting your course direction and in our ability to be able to understand meaning. What actually matters and how should, I, 
how should my priorities look and, and how, how should I engage the rest of my life? And from the beginning of the story, God has consistently been trying to, to teach us this reality that outside of him, everything loses meaning, even when he introduces himself to the nation of Israel. So previously to Moses and Moses leading the nation of Israel out of, out of slavery, the nation of Israel, the whole story that we see is really God relating to a family, and he's relating to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But, but when, you, when you see the story of Moses, and for those of you who don't know, Moses is the individual that God uses to lead the nation of Israel, who at the time is in slavery in Egypt into the promised land. And as he's encountering Moses and saying, okay, this is what I'm going to use you to do, there's this really interesting exchange. Because Moses says, listen, who are you? Like, if I go tell them that you sent me, who do I say sent me? And he asks this, this question. I want to take you to this moment because God's response is really powerful. And again, another place where he's trying to help us understand what we see in Ecclesiastes. So Exodus chapter 3 says, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, who is, or What is his name? What shall I say to them? Now, to me, this is a rather significant moment. We should pay quite a bit of attention because God is being asked his name. So what is the name you would give to yourself? How, how would you, what is the name that captures you? I'm going to go and I'm going to tell them. They're going to say, who sent who sent you? Well, what is the name, God, that you would give yourself? To me, that's a moment that we should pay attention. God said to Moses, I am who I am. Now, translators have struggled with this for a long time. And just recently, I learned uh, from, actually from a Jewish scholar, a different way of being able to look at this. And, and for most, if, even if you look at different translations, you'll see that many of them translate this differently. Some of them just translate it as I am. Some, I am who I am. Uh, th there's different ways that they're trying to capture this phrase in Hebrew inside of English. And oftentimes, sometimes people struggle with this. And they say, well, why are the translations different? But we all understand this about translating, that there are phrases in other languages that don't translate perfectly into our language, that's oftentimes the case why you see different translations. It's translators are struggling. It's like, kind of means this, but it also kind of means this. It, for me, I understand this really well because my mother-in-law is from Ecuador and sometimes the phrases, I'm like, no, I don't think that's exactly it, but I understand what you're trying to get at there. And, and, and we understand that about language. That's just the reality of language. And, and so they're doing that. The translators are doing that with this. But the Jewish scholars, they have this understanding because they understand Hebrew better than we do. And but they have this understanding. They say, no, what he's trying to say there is this. He's saying, I am being. I am being. It, and it's an active, it's an active thing. It's not, it's not a passive thing. It's I am being. In other words, it's this idea that I am all of being. There is no being outside of me. I am being. And as God says, how would, okay, God, what's your name? What would you, how would you, he says, I am, okay, think, the way you should think about it is this, I am being. Everything that be, is to be is in me. It, it's interesting, if, you, if you're on our New Testament reading plan, which I highly suggest that you do, we read through the New Testament every year. And, and just recently inside that plan, we encountered this, 
the same name, but we encountered it with Jesus. I don't know if you saw it. It was in John. When, G- when they come to arrest Jesus, Jesus actually uses this name, I am. He says it in, inside of this phrase, but li- listen to this moment and see the power of this. Like, this is really significant. John chapter 18, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, the soldiers have already come. They're coming for him. They're there. Went out and asked them. So he goes out to the, to the soldiers, who is it that you want? He says, well, who are you guys here for? The soldiers respond back, Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus says. So he says the same, this I am, right? He says, and so he's connecting himself to this. I am he. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Jesus speaking this is so significant that it literally causes all of them to fall to the ground. And, and you see this all throughout scripture. God's saying, no, no, I am being. You have to understand this. You, there is no being outside of me. This is what Ecclesiastes is trying to help them to understand when, when he talks to them about this, when he's saying, listen, no, outside of God's purpose and plan, there is no, everything becomes meaningless. And, and God in this, in this way is saying, actually, outside of it, it no longer, it's not just, it loses its being. Like, it's very reason for being. I think this is one of the reasons why God talks to Adam and Eve about sin leading to death. It's like, no, when you sin, it's going to break that relationship. You're no longer going to be in me. You're no longer being. It's death. You're outside of being. Paul talks about this in Athens when he's talking to the Athenians about the fact that they're close to knowing who God is. And he says, you guys, you understand that there's something there and you understand certain aspects of this. You just don't know. You don't know who it is that you're talking about and you don't know who it is that you're realizing is there. Listen to what he says, Acts chapter 17. God did this. Paul's going back and forth with them and he's explaining what God has been doing. He says, God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. This is where our purpose statement or our mission statement here at Hoboken Grace comes from, that we're here to help people find their way back to God. It comes from this exact verse. Though he is not far from each one of us, for in him, and he quotes there, he, he actually quotes their poets, for in him we live and move and have our being. He says, even you guys know, like you're aware of this, you're aware of this, this reality that know our being, there's something in which we find our being. He says, even your poets understand this. Some of your own poets have said we are his offspring. And all of this is exactly what the book of Ecclesiastes is trying to help us to understand. Listen, let me take you back to it again, Ecclesiastes 12, the end of this book. Now all has been heard. He's walked through all these different aspects of life, these different arenas of life. He says all of it has been heard. All of it is meaningless. And then he he continues. Here is the conclusion of the matter. After everything that I've talked through, after everything that we've looked at, here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. What is he saying? He's saying everything that we've talked through, all of it is meaningless outside of following God's plan and purpose. Outside of following God's plan and purpose, all of it becomes meaningless. And I think for so many of us, we've, we've awakened to the reality that, man, what I thought mattered before just doesn't matter. Like that, what I lived for before, it's meaningless. It, it just doesn't have 
meaning. It's not significant. And, and inside of that, you can begin to you can begin to fall into the trap of thinking, well, everything is meaningless. You can begin to fall into the trap of thinking that you're meaningless. But that's not at all what God teaches us. It, as a matter of fact, God intentionally over and over again teaches us that you were planned, that you were intentional. The, the way that I once heard this explained, and it helps me to understand it better, not necessarily perfectly, but better, is this. He said, the teacher said, imagine the purpose and plan and mission of God as a song. So think about it as a song, this phenomenal, powerful, the most beautiful song you've ever heard, this amazing song that God through the entire story has been playing. So I want for you to think about it as a song. He said, now here's the thing. You have been created to play a note inside that song or to bring a harmony or a melody inside of that song. But the problem is, is that rather than us paying attention to, okay, where do we fit in the song? We've just played our note ourselves. And so rather than it being a note that contributes to the song, it's a wrong note. It's a wrong note. It's the wrong note at the wrong time and the wrong place because we haven't actually come to him and said, okay, how do I fit in the in this song, or what did, where did you create me to play in, in this phenomenal melody? And I don't know if you've ever experienced a wrong note, like when you're listening to music and enjoying a song, and all of a sudden you hear a wrong, a wrong note. Unfortunately, you don't experience it here at Hoboken Grace very often. They're very good at what they do. But, but it's amazing because when, when the right note is played at the right time, it can move you. I, I, it 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 can inspire you in ways that very few things can. It, it can touch you in ways that very few things can. But then all of a sudden that wrong note hits, and it's amazing how it can, rather than it contributing to the song, it actually brings destruction to the song. Like it pulls you, you when you hear it, you're physically moved by it because of the fact that it's so jarring. Like, wait, where'd, that, where'd that come from? That doesn't belong. That doesn't belong in there. That, and... And he said, what? He said, I want for you to think about it that way. You were actually created. And make no mistake about it, you were created to be part of this. There's actually a book in Scripture called Psalms. It's a book of songs. And listen to what the psalmist says about this. He says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. to know you were created to be part of this plan and story, purpose. Not randomly, intentionally. You were created with a note to play, to add to that song, for that song to become more powerful, more meaningful, more impactful than, than even before. The problem is not just that we, we don't necessarily play the note. The problem is that we, 
We pursue these other things, and in doing so, we play the wrong note. And, my, and rather than making the song butter, we actually bring destruction to the song. And there, there, there are consequences to this. There's, there's this story in the Jewish scriptures again in the Old Testament. It's found in the book of Esther. It's about an individual named Esther, ironically. And as, as the story begins, it's not a long book, but it's, you should read it if you haven't read it before. I, I highly encourage you to read it. As, as it begins, you start off with this power-hungry ruler. His name is Xerxes. And at the time, the nation of Israel is in captivity under the Persian Empire, and this ruler, he's really power-hungry. And as the story begins, it actually starts with him throwing this huge party for his friends, and he wants to show off his wife, so he calls for her to come to the party, and she says, no, I'm not coming to hang out for you to show me off to all your drunk friends. And because of that, it's, it's, you should read it, it's a little bit funny, because there's this interaction between him and his guests, and his guests are like, listen, you've got to put an end to this if, because if you let your wife talk to you that way, then our wives are going to start talking to us that way. So you got to shut this down. That's literally the beginning of this book. It's an indictment on like power. And it's also this kind of small story about how power costs the king what he loved most. And so he banishes his wife because of this. And so they have to find a new queen. And as they're searching through that, this individual named Esther becomes the new queen. No one knows that she's Jewish. But she becomes the new queen. Now, as she's queen, there's this plot that breaks out to kill all of the Jews in the empire, to, to literally slaughter them. And it's not just beginning to break out. The day has been established when this is going to happen. And the king has decreed that this is going to happen. And as this is playing out, there's this back and forth between Esther and her uncle. Her uncle's name is Mordecai. And Mordecai and her are going back and forth. And Mordecai is like, listen, you got to do something about this. You're the queen. You have to do something about this. And Esther is the queen's like, what can I do? You don't understand. There's no, I have no power. Like I may have a position. I have no power. L listen to the back and forth because she's really, she's terrified for her very life. It says, Hathach went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that he be put to death. She says, we all know what the law is. If I walk into the king's presence without him asking for me to come, which, by the way, things didn't go well for the previous queen when she didn't listen. She said, not just will I be banished, I'm going to be put to death. I'm the one who's going to die. The only exception to this is for the king to extend the golden scepter to him and spare his life. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. The king hasn't been interested in seeing me in 30 days. I don't think he's going to be excited for me coming on my own. She said, I'm going to die. Then her uncle responds back. So when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. 
For if you remain silent at a time like this, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. I love this, and I don't think it's a mistake that God shares with us this story. And this is the turning point. Really, the main focus of this story is this moment where Mordecai responds back and says, don't, listen, the mission of God doesn't rest on you, and you won't stop the mission of God. If you decide not to play the note you were created to play, God will figure out another way to keep his promise. But don't think that there won't be consequences. Don't think that it doesn't impact lives. Don't think that there's not a cost. That there won't be a cost. This verse lives constantly at the back of my mind. Because it's not just that God created you with a note to play. It's not just a nice thing to step into. It's a responsibility. And there's consequence. The song is not what the song could be when you don't step in. I was recently reading this book on the persecuted church around the world, and it talked about the purpose of persecution, really, to keep people from, from having access to Jesus and The whole goal of it is just to make sure that people don't have access to Jesus or limit as much as possible people's access to Jesus. But the individual, as he's talking about this in terms of persecution, he said it's interesting that there's multiple ways that this can happen. Listen to how he phrases it. He says, as strange and as horrifying as it sounds, we came to realize that believers could be unwittingly, complicitly, with complicit with the persecutors by simply refusing to share their faith. Just like persecution, the refusal to share the faith denies people access to Jesus. It was a startling thought to realize that the persecutors' use of violence to inhibit the faith and the believers' refusal to speak openly of Jesus yield the same result. In both cases, people are denied access to Jesus. He said, one of the things that was interesting as we worked through this is that, well, they both had the same impact, the persecution of the church and the church's unwillingness to play the note they were created to play. And it costs. It costs lives. It costs eternity. And the plan of purpose in God does not rise and fall with you. But when we neglect to play the note that we were created to play, make no mistake, there's cost. And God has stepped in and said, no, no, no. No. You have to understand you were created on purpose for a purpose. And right now, 
What I love about this moment is we have the opportunity to wipe, wipe the slate clean and to say, okay, wait, 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 wait. We've been living for all these other things and we've been playing the wrong note in all these other ways, but now we have the chance to wipe the slate clean and say, okay, where do we start from now? What does this look like now? And it starts with, listen, it starts with changing the question. We're gonna talk throughout this series about how there are all these decisions in life that are almost like dominoes. And once, once you tip over the right one, well, they, they start to feed one another and they impact one another. And we're gonna talk about habits and what that looks like as far as living out when you realize what it is that God created you to be. But I think the first domino is actually asking the right question. And we've been asking the wrong question for a long time. We, we've been lied to about the most important question of life. We've been lied to about a lot of different things. And even myself, I've lied to my kids about these things because from the time that we're two years old, we ask this question over and over again. Many of you have built your entire life on this question because it has been asked to you so many times. From the time that we can walk, we're asked this question. What do you want to be? When you grow up, what, do you, what is it that you want to be? Some of you were asked this over the holiday because you still haven't grown up and become anything. And so your uncle keeps asking you the question when you're going to move out and become something. But, but what do you want to be? We ask the question and we're asked it constantly. And we ask our kids this. And I, recently I've been trying not to ask the question anymore because I think, again, it's the wrong question, but we've been asked it over and over and over again. Now, some of you weren't asked this question, what do you want to be? If you, if you are a child of an immigrant family, you were not asked that question at all. You were told exactly what you were going to become, a doctor or a lawyer. You know what I'm talking about. But again, it was based on the wrong question. Or some of you, you didn't make the question based on what you wanted to be. It was based on gaining your father's approval, your mom's approval. And that's what shaped your whole life. We ask it over and over and over again. And some of you right now are asking that question. Some of you came into this year, and for the new year, you asked yourself that question. Who do I want to be this year? Who do I want to be? What do I want to be? You know who never asked that question? God. Not one time in all the scriptures do I ever see God ask, you know what, who do you want to be? God doesn't, come, God doesn't come to Moses. Hey, Moses, what do you want to be, bud? What do you think? You want, to rescue, you want to rescue the people from Egypt? What do you think? You up for it? If he had, we know Moses would have said no, because when God comes and says, this is what you're going to do, Moses says, that's not me. That's not what I want to be when I grow up. Nope, because that person's dead. I'm not going to be that. He doesn't come to David. Hey, David, what do you think about becoming a king? What do you think? Is that what you want to be? Never ask the question. Why? It's not up for debate. You were created to be something. It was determined before the whole song began. You were brought into the song because you had a note to play. And it matters and there's consequence. We have got to stop asking or even caring about what we want to be. The question is, 
who were we created to be? What was the note we were created to play? And it's only there that we'll find meaning. It is only there that we'll find meaning. Because then you begin to contribute to, you begin to build into the most amazing, most powerful song of all time that you've ever heard or that you could even dream of. We have to, we have to change the question. Ephesians says it this way. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God planned beforehand, that we should walk in them. You are not an accident. And for some of you, you, you so struggle with this. And I say this over and over again, but it's so important. I, I want to drill this into your heads. Some of you are like, no, I, it's not me. I don't have any, anything significant to do. Well, God's not lying to you. Like when you say that, you're saying that God's a liar and he's not lying to you. But you look at your life and you're like, well, I'm not very good. Well, the problem is you're trying to play someone else's note and you're never going to be good at playing someone else's note. But when you discover the note you were created to play, you'll discover that you were perfectly created to play it. And those things that you used to look at as disadvantages in your life, you're going to realize, no, they were actually, God actually is in his incredible wisdom and his incredible grace is working through all of this to be able to help you to be able to understand and to be able to actually execute playing that note. You'll discover you're perfectly created to play the note that you were intended to play. But we have to, in faith, understand that, no, 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 God, God did intend this before before the entire song began, including me. And that means that we have to come to him because no one else can answer this. I can't answer this question for you. I, I cannot answer the question for you of what, what it is that you were created to be. Only God can answer that in your life. Which is why I want from the beginning of this series, for one of the things for us to do, and as we move through the next few weeks, because we're not gonna answer this in one week, I want for you consistently, every time you pray, as, more, as consistently as you can, to ask God that question over and over and over again. God, who is it that you created me to be? Who is it that you created me to reach? Because if you're not asking that question, you're just not being obedient. What is the note that I was intended to play? And for us to decide, no, we're going to sit at God's feet in this because he's the only one that can answer it. And to allow him to wait on him to speak into our lives. And I want to, I know for some of you, you're here and you're exploring this thing of Jesus and you think, oh, that's for them. No, it's for you too. You say, I don't even believe in God. Yeah, but you were created by that God intentionally. This doesn't happen when you place your faith in Jesus. This happened the moment that he created you because he created you with a note to play. And in his grace and his mercy, he's pursuing you even though you want nothing to do with him because he wants you to know meaning. He wants you to discover what it is to contribute to that phenomenal song. We have to change the question. Take everything, everything off the table. Okay, God, 
Who did you create me to be? Allow him to begin to speak into that. And then we can begin to look at and work through, okay, how do we build this? Because, and I'll say this multiple times throughout this series, I am not interested in figuring out how to be better at who I want to be. And I am not interested in figuring out how to help you live out who you want to be. That is not what this is about. This is about us discovering who we were created to be. And that is what we want to get better at. Will you change the question and come to the one who before the song began said, I'm going to create them to do this. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray that in faith we would trust you that this is true. It, for, for some of us, it's so difficult to believe that we could or would. It's even possible that it would matter. And Father, I, I just pray as we come to you over the next few weeks and we just begin to ask over and over and over again, what is the note that we were intended to play? What is, what is the story you created us to live Father, I pray that you would begin to speak into that. I pray that you'd speak into that in our lives individually. I pray that you'd speak into that in community. Father, I thank you. I thank you for not only how you've pursued us, I thank you for not only how you rescue us, but I thank you for how you invite us into the song to experience the power and the beauty glory, the life of that song, the purpose, plan, and mission of, your, of yours. In Jesus' name, amen.